that we have to have a philosophy of life, a view of life, which we run everything in our lives through that grid. We, how we think, how we choose, how we prioritize our lives is run through that grid of our life philosophy. And we need to write our own. I've given you mine. I'll repeat it again tonight. But mine is to know, love, and glorify God and to be used of Him to make disciples, mature the church, and advocate revival. Now, in some way, your life purpose, your philosophy of life, needs to somehow to incorporate things like knowing God and loving God and glorifying God. The chief end of man is the glory of God. And, and so you've got to have those things somehow, whether you use those exact terms or not, You've got to have those things in your life philosophy and to be used of Him because you can't know Him, love Him, and glorify Him and not be used of Him in some way. And so as we talk about this, we're going to talk about how you get to know God. That's last week. And now we're going to talk about to love and to glorify and to be used by Him. So let's begin with spiritual intimacy as a love relationship. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. When you see that word know, many times in the Old Testament, it is an intimate word. It is the word for a way a man knows his wife. It is the most intimate word that, that God can give to say what kind of relationship He wants with us. And to know is to love. I can know about somebody and not love them. But when I intimately know somebody, then I develop a love for that person. And these are the commands of God. Let's just walk through the book of Deuteronomy for a second because these, the book of Deuteronomy is so foundational uh, to the family, to the nation of Israel, but also to how we raise our families, how we pattern our lives. There are so many truths in the book of Deuteronomy, but I want you to see this phrase that continually runs through this book, Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now go down to chapter 11. Go down to chapter 11. Moses knew and God knew that we are quick to forget that we need to remember some things and repetition is one of those ways that we remember. And so God gives it to us again and Deuteronomy 11 and verse 1, You shall therefore love the Lord your God, always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. So what's he saying there? Now he's saying it's not only to love God with all your soul and with all your might. Now he's saying that the way that you show your love for God is that you keep His ordinances and keep His statutes. That you're an obedient believer. Drop down to chapter 30 and verse 16. Chapter 30 and verse 16. He's given them direction. He's told them you're to love God with all your heart. In other words, don't have any rivals in your heart or in your life other than God. Every other love you have pales in comparison with your love for God. Now in chapter 30 and verse 16. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments. That, why should I do that? 
that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Now turn over just a couple of pages to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua picks up on this. As they are in the land, they are possessing the land. There's still much land to possess, but they have begun to possess the land and he's reminding them of what they heard. Some of them had heard it as young children when they were going through the wilderness wanderings. But now they're being reminded of this, Joshua 22 and verse 5, Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in His ways and keep His commandments and hold fast to Him and serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, Pick up into Matthew chapter 22. Very familiar words. But while you're turning there, let me ask you to write down Psalm 31 and verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you His godly ones. Oh, love the Lord, all you His godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Matthew 22 and verse 37. Jesus was asked a question. We'll come back to this in just a moment. But Jesus was asked a question, what's the greatest of all commandments? And he says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus added the mind. They didn't say that. Moses didn't say that in the book of Deuteronomy, but Jesus adds it and says, this is the great and foremost commandment. Now, one thing we know about the commandments of God is God never commands us to do anything that is impossible or impractical or or, or unreasonable. God commands what He empowers us to do. And the command throughout Scripture and the greatest commandment, Jesus says, is not that we do good things. The greatest commandment is that everything we do flows out of loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Now, why is that important? Because man is a bale maker at heart. It is within our fallen nature, it is within the old man that we make other gods, bales. We form them, we fashion them, we worship them, we honor them. And let me just mention a few things that can compete for loving God with all our heart. First of all is the idol of religion. We may not build wood and stone and gold statues today, but we do have the idol of religion, which is tradition over truth. People can be very religious and not love God. There are millions upon millions of religious people, sincerely religious people in this world, but they don't love the Lord God Jehovah. They don't love God with all their heart. They go through ritual. They go through ceremonies. Some people cut themselves. Some people offer great sacrifices. Some people take great trips to distant lands. Some people bow in certain directions. Some people do other things, but, but they don't love God. They love their religion. But Jesus did not come to establish religion. Religion is man trying to work himself up to God to get favor in God's eyes. 
Christianity is that God has come down to man when man didn't deserve it and loved him unconditionally. So because of God's love, we love, why? Because he first loved us. That's why we love. But the idol of religion can stand in the way. In fact, let me give you a verse there. 2 Kings 17.33 is a verse you need to chew on. In fact, I'm giving you so many verses uh, tonight because I want you to go do some homework and let God speak to you through some of these passages and see where you are in your spiritual intimacy. 2 Kings 17.33 They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Wow. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Now, let me just tell you what that says to me. There are people who come to church and there are people who do religious things because they're afraid if they don't, God's going to get them. But they leave church and go do their own thing. Does that make sense? They feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. In other words, they came and they went through the motions and they checked all the boxes and they did everything you're supposed to do. But when they left, they began to serve their own gods. There are people that do that in this church every Sunday. They don't want to not come because if they don't come, then, oh, golly, we're going to get a call from somebody. Oh, no. They're going to call me, so I've got to show up just enough so they stay off my back. They fear the Lord while well, I need to go to church. You know, I, I, I ought to go to church. It's the right thing to do. My mama told me I should go to church. They fear the Lord, but day in, day out, if you evaluate their lives, they serve their own gods. That's not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's loving religion and thinking that religion is going to make us acceptable in the eyes of God. That's the idol of religion. There are Christian idols, by the way. That's another one. Let me give you a couple of Christian idols. One Christian idol is worshiping a past experience. Worshiping a past experience. Boy, we can have something happen to us, and we're just like Peter, James, and John. We just speak up saying, Lord, let us just build a tabernacle right here, and let us just rest here and worship here, and let's just forget about that world down there. But you see, faith is not lived out in high mountains. Faith is lived out in the valley. We live our faith out by walking through the valley of persecution and suffering and conflict and spiritual warfare. You can worship a past experience. The second one is to substitute a dead experience, which is kind of an expansion of this, to substitute a dead experience for a living relationship. I've told you this before, but I want to repeat it again. I, I still remember Manly Beasley. I was always scared to talk to him because he would eventually sometime catch me off guard and say, what are you trusting God for today? You ever been in testimony services and everybody talks about what God did back there somewhere? You say, well, what's God doing in your life today? And it gets real quiet. You want to know how to kill a testimony service in your next Sunday school meeting? Just say, what, did you, what are you trusting God for today? What did God tell you in your quiet time today? And I promise you, you'll get right to the lesson. There won't be any sharing. 
Now, everybody loves to bring up something that happened a year ago, six months ago, but you know, that's like stale bread, folks. What God did yesterday is not sufficient enough for what I need for Him to do today. I build on it, but I don't worship it. That would be like, you, you, you know, you're going to go and you're going to eat tonight, and you say, well, that's great, man. We got teriyaki chicken, and we got some, some ham, and we got some other... That was great. I don't have to eat or drink anything for the rest of the week. But you know, a lot of people treat church that way. They get their God in one hour or two hours on Sunday and then never think about Him the rest of the time. And yet we're to love God with all our heart and soul, mind, and strength. What does that mean? It means I can't go a day without thinking about Him. I can't go a day without talking to Him. I can't go a day without enjoying His presence or longing for His presence or wanting to be in His presence. That worship is not something I do. It's something that is just a part of who I am. So there are Christian idols. There's the idol of materialism. I don't even have to dwell on that one very much. The idol of materialism. Luke 12 and 15 says, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Eve, Achan, Joshua chapter 7, and David. Eve, Achan, and David all said the same thing. I saw, I coveted, I took. With Eve, it was the forbidden fruit. With Achan, it was the things under the ban. With David, it was another man's wife. I saw, I coveted, I took. With Eve, it cost her paradise. With Achan, it cost him his life. And with David, it cost his kingdom to be under turmoil for the rest of his life and the rebellion of his son. Consequences of all those things. Why? Because materialism is not just money. It's a greedy attitude that says, I want what you've got, and if I can get it and get away with it, I would take it. It's not just physically stealing, it's in my mind trying to figure out, if I could get that, I would take it. That's an idol. Because it means I need something out there or something someone else has. I need that to have fulfillment in my life. I need that to have a sense of purpose. I need that to have a sense of peace. And yet it says, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Can I tell you something? We talked about this at lunch today. Can I tell you something? It's easier to survive poverty than it is prosperity. You know, poor people don't have many worries. Those of us that have got stuff, we're always worrying about how we're going to protect it. Do we have it insured enough? You know, we got enough locks. Have we got our security system on? You know, we got our fence built. We got the collar on the dog. You know, we got, every, we got everything covered. Got everything covered. Why? Because we're so worried we're going to lose our stuff. Poor people don't worry about losing anything. They're just trying to figure out if they're going to have a meal. And that's why it's hard to talk to people in America about the gospel because they think they've got everything. And we are rich and in need of nothing. And Jesus says you're poor and you're wretched and you're blind because we bought the lie of materialism. There's the idol of self. What's in it for me? Jeremiah chapter 45 and verse 5. But you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them. The idol of self. What, what are you going to do for me? 
What's going to be for me? Now let's just say that tonight, instead of a luau where we're going to get to eat a lot of food for $3 a person, let's say that tonight we said as soon as church is over, we're going to go out and we're going to clean up two blocks around our community. We're going to pick up trash. We're going to trim people's shrubs. We're going to work. So come dressed to work. Anybody here wouldn't have come tonight? Oh, I see. Feeding your face means more to you than serving your neighbor. But you see, the second part of the commandment is, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not feed your face. And we're going to have fun doing that. And we're going to enjoy it. That's, that's okay. But I'm afraid that we have bought a mentality in American culturized Christianity that says, if you don't do something that I'm interested in, I'm not coming. You say, how do you know that? Well, there's empty seats right there. There's some teenagers that don't care enough about God to go fill those seats like they're supposed to. That whole section's empty that is normally full on Sunday morning. There's empty seats over here with people. There's empty seats over here where people used to sit. Hey, folks, signs of the times are everywhere. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out some people have other priorities other than loving God. Am I being critical? No, I'm just stating the truth. Some people just love leisure more than they love God. They got to have time for themselves. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say when he faced the cross, you know, I just need some time for myself. I'd like to just have some time by myself. Just not worry about this. I'll get to this later at another day. You know, things we would never say to the guy that writes our check on the 1st and the 15th, we say to God on a daily basis. Things we would never say to our parents or our to superiors, we say to God on a daily basis. Why? Because we love ourselves more than we love God. There's the love of idols, other idols. Let me just mention a few. Work. Work can be an idol. Status can be an idol. I know some white people that think being white is idolatry. And by the way, you didn't have anything to do with what color you were born. Not one thing. You didn't have anything to do with being born in America. God sovereignly saw to it that you look like you look. You have the skin color that you have. You live where you live. You're born where you... He could have just as easily made you being born in the, in the middle of a woods with nothing and you would have to live in a dung hut and you'd have no complaints against him. You didn't have anything to do with that. The idea that we have pride in what we look like is ultimate arrogance. By the way, it's what made Adolf Hitler Hitler. The pride of the Aryan race. It is an evil that has no justification for the believer. None. 
We can have a lot of idols. Let's just move on. I've already meddled more there than some of you wanted me to. By the way, idolatry is the most mentioned topic in Scripture outside of God Himself. So God must know we have a problem with it. Because second only to God Himself, idolatry is a subject that keeps coming up. Paul said to the Corinthians, My dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to lost people. John said in his epistle, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let me define idolatry. Idolatry is inordinate affections given to something or someone other than God. Inordinate affections given to something or someone other than God. I love this quote by Martin Luther. Your God is where you hang your heart. Your God is where you hang your heart. Now the reason idols are so hard for us to get a handle on is because we don't build wood and stone statues anymore. But they're still there. In fact, let me give you five characteristics of idolatry out of Jeremiah chapter 10. You can just read about through verse 16 of Jeremiah chapter 10 later on, but let me give you five characteristics of idolatry. First of all, Jeremiah says they will let you down. Idols will let you down. He says in Jeremiah 10, they can't do any good. Secondly, they can't go with you. They must be carried. They can't go with you. They, they, they must be carried. Thirdly, they cannot minister to you because Jeremiah says they cannot speak. Number four, they are deceptive. The customs of the peoples are delusion. And finally, they will not stand the test of time. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. Now when Jesus picks up this theme of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, He's quoting from the Shema, the, the, which means hear, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It was something that every Orthodox Jew quoted every day of their life. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, they would quote that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now what had happened is all of this had gotten diluted and expanded and it was just a, it was a mess there were 613 commandments in the scribal laws 248 were positive and of course being good pharisees 365 were negative so there's more you shouldn't do than there was that you should do and the experts divided them into heavy that's important stuff and light that's unimportant stuff and Jesus comes in there and he says that the, the law is summed up in one word, love. If I'm going to have an intimate relationship with God, it's not by keeping the law, it is by loving God with my whole heart. That's how I show God my love for Him. And then he adds, with your mind. Now, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul talks about renewing your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, he talks about taking every thought captive. Why? Because heart has to do with your emotions. Your heart has to do with how you feel about things. Your, your soul has to do with where your will is and your mind has to do with your ethics, where you make your choice. These are the choices I make in my mind about my lifestyle, my philosophy, 
my approach, my worldview is all made there. Now, according to the New Testament, let me just give you references here very quickly. These are some characteristics that the mind can have because the battle is in the mind. The mind can be reprobate, Romans 1.28. Fleshly, Colossians 2.18. Vain, Ephesians 4.17. Corrupt, 1 Timothy 6.5 and 2 Timothy 3.8. And defiled, Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. When God says we are to love Him with all of our mind, it is because the mind can be revived and renewed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is also because God's laws in the new covenant are put in our mind. That's what Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10 tells us. The laws of God have been put in our mind. So if I want to know the heart of God and the Word of God and the laws of God, then I'm going to love what He loves, and that's His Word. So I don't have an idol, but I have a love relationship with God. Secondly, there's a God-glorifying aspect of spiritual intimacy. Random House, in the Dictionary of the English Language, says that glorify means to magnify with praise, to extol, to transform into, or treat as more splendid, more excellent than would normally be considered. First of all, it is a reason we were created. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Revelation 4, 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. The reason we were created was to give glory to God. So if I want to have an intimate relationship with God, I have to ask myself at the beginning of the day, do I want to glorify God? At the end of the day, did I glorify God? At the start of the day, Lord, I want to glorify you. At the end of the day, Lord, show me what I didn't do to glorify you today. Show me where I missed the mark. Show me where I sinned. Show me where I got off track so that tomorrow I can wake up in tune with something can get me off track in my life and I want to get back and make sure I'm walking with you. That's why we were created. Secondly, it's a consequence of knowing and loving God. If I'm knowing God and if I'm loving God, then the consequence is I'm going to glorify Him. Now there's several things here. First of all, if it's the consequence of knowing God, then I will live a life of praise. Psalms 50 and verse 23 says, Whoever offers praise glorifies Him. Now, choir, that's a good verse. Whoever offers praise, Psalm 50 verse 23, Whoever offers praise glorifies Him. That means that when we praise God in here, we're not just singing. We're not just trying to hit notes. We're not just saying words. But when we offer praise to God, God is glorified in that. God gets glory when we praise Him. When our services are broadcast on TV and they see us praising God, God gets glory in that. Have you ever watched TV? Some, some services, surely not any of ours, but have you ever watched TV and the camera swings around to somebody and they're sitting there like this in a the worship service? 
That doesn't give glory to God. You see, when I offer praise to God, I give Him glory. God's not interested in whether I'm hitting all the notes or not. God's not interested in if I've got all the beat correct or not. Now, He is for these folks on the platform because they're leading us. But for me out there, you know what God's interested in? Am I interested in glorifying His name? Have I come to this place to glorify His name? Have I come to this place to worship Him? Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, and you'll see this repeated a couple of times in Ephesians 1. It's one of the great books in the New Testament. One of the great passages is in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. You don't know where Ephesians is. It's General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Worked for me when I was 10 years old. It still works. So, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, now underline it, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Verse 12, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. That verse right there wipes out the fact that you had anything to do with your salvation. He did it to the praise of His glory. God put it in your heart that you were a sinner. God convicted you of your sin. God showed you that you needed a Savior. God initiates salvation so that you will understand that your salvation and your adoption and your election is to the praise of His glory. Nobody's going to strut into heaven about their decision. We will humbly walk through the gates of heaven and say, Lord, thank you that when I was not worthy, you looked down and you saw me and you saved me and you set me apart and you sent someone to tell me the gospel and I responded and I'm saved not because of anything I did, not because of any works I've done, not because of how many times I've been baptized, not because of how many churches I've joined or good deeds I've done. I'm saved for one reason, to the praise and glory of your grace. Secondly, I will consciously choose to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Wow. Whatever? You mean like everything? That means if I play sports, I play sports to the glory of God. If I play an instrument, I play it to the glory of God. If I sing, I sing to the glory of God. If I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor to the glory of God. If I'm a salesman, I'm a salesman to the glory of God. If I'm washing dishes in my kitchen, I'm a, I'm a dishwasher to the glory of God. If I work at a restaurant, I do it to the glory of God. If I teach school, I do it to the glory of God. Whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. God, thank you that I can do something and glorify you in doing it. Now, that gives you a different perspective on going to work every day. When you realize that I'm going to work to get an opportunity to glorify God that through my life people can see Christ. 
Number three, I glorify God by bearing spiritual fruit. You know this passage, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Jesus said in John 15.8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. When I bear fruit, the fruit of souls, the fruit of the Spirit, when I bear fruit, whatever that means, in the several different ways that it's used in the New Testament, when I bear fruit, in this, Jesus says, my Father is glorified. Do you realize that when I exercise self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, that God's glorified? You know, when I just want to rip somebody's head off, I know y'all have never wanted to do it. You're too spiritual for that. But, but I, when I just want to rip somebody's head off and I just walk away, God's glorified in that. When I love somebody that doesn't deserve to be loved, God's glorified in that. When I'm kind, when I'd rather really say something I want to say, God's glorified in that. When I do these things that Paul talks about, when I'm gentle, when I'm kind, when I'm patient, God's glorified in that. Have you ever thought about that? The fact that when you exercise self-control that God gets glory because the natural reaction of man is, man, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to tear their head out. I'm going to reach down their throat and pull their lungs out and beat them over the head with it. But you have self-control. And God gets glory. Fourthly, I glorify God when I walk by faith. Romans 4.20 Yet with respect to the promises of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully assured that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to Him as righteousness. To grow strong in my faith is to give glory to God. When my faith is developing, it gives glory to God. When people see maturity in my life, it gives glory to God. Walking by faith and not by sight gives glory to God. Learning to trust God moment by moment gives glory to God. Number five, I glorify God when I confess Jesus as Lord. Philippians 2 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what gives God the most glory is if I do it now. Not that I wait and have to be forced to do it then. God is glorified when His children confess His Son as Lord. Let's look at one last thing. Those who are spiritually intimate want to be used by Him. John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Listen to this quote by Warren Wiersbe. I'm just the vessel. The most important thing is that Christ is seen and that Christ gets the glory. It is too bad when Christian workers make the vessel more important than the treasure of the gospel. God wants to use us, but to use us, He has to have a clean vessel. If I'm going to be intimately acquainted with Him, I have to have a clean vessel. Now, let me mention something here. To know God, to know, love, and glorify God, and to be used of Him, all deal with character. It's all about who you are inside. It's not really about what you do. Because what you do is an outgrowth of who you are. So to know God has to do with my character. To love God has to do with my character. To glorify God has to do with my character. And that means that we can't be hypocritical and be one thing at one time and another thing at another time. That God wants consistency in our lives so that He finds clean vessels. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. How do I get in the presence of God? The psalmist says you do it by having clean hands. What you put your hand to doesn't defile what God's trying to do. And a pure heart, your motives are right. Paul said to Timothy, let every man lift up holy hands to the Lord. Not just lift up hands to the Lord, but lift up holy hands to the Lord. You see, all of this has to do with our character. And if I'm going to be intimately acquainted with God, if there's going to be spiritual intimacy in my life, then guess what? I need the character of God in my life. And that's why the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Because I cannot reproduce that or work it up or deliver it or discipline myself enough to get it. I don't have the power to do it. And that's the frustration for many believers. They want to be intimate with God, but they want to do it in their flesh. But to be intimate with God, God has to do it through His Spirit in my life, working itself out. Now that's what we're going to do in the next couple of times when we talk about this, is what does that look like? We've talked about character, now we're going to move in the next two times, we're going to talk about not just character, but how does that live out and what does spiritual intimacy look like? How do we see it? How do we know it? How do we define it? How do we measure it? so that we can say, Lord, I'm on an upward track. I'm moving in the right direction. I'm not squandering the life that you've given me. I'm not wasting the opportunities that I have. I, I'm not hit and miss going from one experience to another. I, I'm on a steady path. Now listen, some of us are on the fast track. I mean, we're running and it, it's like a 440. I mean, we're just ripping around the track. And some of us are going a little slower but it is not speed, it is direction that's important. 
And don't get out there and start running this race and trying to be what everything God wants you to be and look out there and say, man, you know, that guy, he is so far ahead. I'll never catch up. I'll just quit. I can't catch him. God didn't tell you to catch him. There's a finish line for you to cross. You're just supposed to run the race and finish the course. Your course may not be as long as somebody else's. It may not be the same course that someone else has run. Your job is not to look around and go, wow, look at them. Man, I tell you, boy, if I could just be like them. God never told you to be like them. God told you to be like Jesus. Get your eyes off them. You know what? They may stumble. And if all you're doing is watching them, you're going to stumble too. You put your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith and you run the course that God's got for you in the lane that he's got for you at the speed that he wants you to run and you'll get to where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I spent way too much time in my early Christian life worrying about those who were ahead of me. Man, they're just so far ahead of me. I mean, they know so much more scripture than I do. They, they're, they're so much smarter than I am. They, they've got more education than I do. They, you know, and I spent all the time, and God, you know, finally God just said to me one day, he said, hey, did I ask you to be them? I just want all of you committed to all of me. That's what I want from you. You just give me all of you, and you put your eyes on me, and you fix your eyes on me, and you'll get to where you're supposed to go and you'll accomplish what you're supposed to accomplish and you'll do what you're supposed to do and don't worry about who's ahead of you and don't run around looking who's behind you saying, I'm ahead of you, I'm better than you, I'm further along than you. That's pride. Looking this way is false humility. Looking behind you becomes pride. Look at how far I've come. Looking at Jesus keeps you humble because you know, Lord, it's not about what everybody else is doing. I'm not measuring myself by that standard. It's about what you're doing in me and what you want to do in me. That's the key. That Christ could glorify His name in us. Let me give you one more statement as the praise team comes and we get ready to sing. And you need to think about this one. This, is, this one you're going to have to think about a little bit because I had to think about it for a while. God is more interested in making you than in teaching you. God is more interested in making you than in teaching you. Sometimes we get Christianity down to how much can I learn about this or that or the other. And you can know a lot of stuff and not be any more like Jesus. God's interested in making us like Jesus. And to be like Jesus, we have to spend time with Him. And to spend time with Him, we get to know His heart and we begin to trust Him and listen to Him and respond to Him. So I want us to stand and I want us to sing now as we worship God. Now remember... The godly praise Him. So let's praise Him tonight.
Jesus, there is none like you. We're here to worship, to glorify, and say there is none like you. search. 